Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. For all of you just tuning in, welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. It's been a while since we've been on the air due to various COVID-related incidents, the school being temporarily, well, not temporarily. I personally was sent to quarantine for a while, which kind of got in the way of recording. But regardless of that, we are back for another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. And assuming that things go all right going forward, we will be, be, be back every week for a daily dose, well, not daily dose, weekly dose of historical content. So let's jump right into it. We're today, we're going to be continuing to an extent our uh, discussion around uh, French kings, well, French individuals in particular. Maybe you if haven't noticed by now, I have a bit of a fondness towards French history in general, if uh, the focus of the past couple of episodes is anything to go by that. But today we're going to be, you know, continuing with the show's idea of focusing on the individuals in history who are less known. And in the case of today, we're going to be talking about a certain Bonaparte. Of course, many of you are probably familiar with Napoleon Bonaparte, the famous general and emperor of France who following the French Revolution, came to dominate over almost the entirety of Europe before he was eventually overthrown in 1815 after he was defeated at the Battle of Waterloo. But no, we will not be talking about that Bonaparte, nor will we be talking about another favorite Bonaparte of mine, Napoleon III, who was the emperor of the Second French Empire until his defeat by the Prussians in 1870. One of the lesser known but still important Bonapartes. In this case, Joseph Bonaparte, the King of Naples and the King of Spain. So let's just start, get, jump right into his early life. Joseph was born in 1768 to Carlo Bonaparte and Maria Lezia Romano at court, the capital, of the, the capital of the Corsican Republic at the time. Of course, um, as some of you may be aware in regards to Corsica, if you're familiar with, you know, anything about Napoleon Bonaparte, is that it didn't remain independent Corsica for very long. As Corsica was invaded by France in 1769 and it was conquered. Now, the father of Joseph, uh, Carlo, was originally a follower of the Corsican patriot Pascal Paoli, but later became a supporter of French rule. While Napoleon Bonaparte would go on to the military in order to pursue that within France, Joseph Bonaparte originally trained as a lawyer, and in that role he served as a politician and diplomat for the Kingdom of France, where he served in the Court of 500 and also as a French ambassador to Rome. He even in September of 1800 signed a treaty of friendship and commerce between France and the United States along some other notable French envoys, such as Charles-Pierre Claret de Fleurou and Pierre-Louis Rodier. Um, in 1795, Joseph Bonaparte would become a member of the Council of Ancients, and four years later, he used his political position to actually help o him, his brother, Napoleon Bonaparte, who we all know more so as em the future Emperor of France. He used his position to help him overthrow the Directory, upon which, uh, some of you may be familiar, Napoleon Bonaparte established himself as the first Consul of France, which was the title or position he used to essentially be the Emperor, but wasn't officially the Emperor yet, but he still had authoritarian authoritarian power and near unilateral power in France until his eventual coronation. 
After helping his brother overthrow the government, Yosef Bonaparte basically acted merely as a supporter of Napoleon Bonaparte in the new French government. Now, the next stage where Joseph Bonaparte would become relevant would be in the role of King of Naples. And to give some context on, you know, the wider scene of, under which all of this is happening, in around 1805, which is around when Joseph becomes King of Naples, um, you may all be familiar with the Wars of Coalition, which were the various attempts by the monarchical powers of Europe to either overthrow the Republican government or by Napoleon Bonaparte to maintain the continental system or take over and conquer more parts of Europe. So it's in this, you know, series of continuous wars that uh, Joseph Bonaparte eventually comes to become the king of Naples after his brother Napoleon Bonaparte conquers the kingdom of Naples. And the reason for this conquering of Naples, if you're asking yourself about that, is that upon the outbreak of war between France and Austria in 1805, Ferdinand IV of Naples had agreed to a treaty of neutrality with Napoleon. But a few days later, he ended up declaring his support for Austria and went to war with France. In particular, he permitted a large Russian and uh, English force to land in the Kingdom of Naples through which they would march north to uh, strike at Napoleon's Italy, which he had conquered earlier on during his time in his Italian campaign. But that is an entirely separate story if we were to even delve into that. However, this Anglo-Russian force was eventually defeated and eventually um, Napoleon ended up winning the War of the Third Coalition, which was formally shattered on the 5th of December at the Battle of Austerlitz. Having won this war, Ferdinand IV was now subject, basically, to Napoleon's wrath, and Napoleon did not look lightly upon Ferdinand breaking this agreement of neutrality and subsequently allowing uh, English and Russian forces to use his territory to invade France, which resulted in an invasion of Naples by Napoleon Bonaparte in 1806. As a lead-up to this invasion, on the 27th of December 1805, Napoleon had issued a proclamation at Schönbrunn declaring that Ferdinand had forfeited his kingdom, saying that a French invasion would soon follow to ensure that, quote, the f that the finest of countries is relieved from the yoke of the most faithless of men, end quote, referencing, of course, Ferdinand IV's breaking of the neutrality agreement with France. On the 31st of December, Napoleon told his brother Joseph to move to Rome, where he would be assigned to command the army that would be sent to invade Naples and depose Ferdinand of his throne. Although Joseph Bonaparte was the nominal commander-in-chief of the expedition, Marshal Massena was actually effectively in charge of operations, mainly given Joseph Bonaparte's complete lack of military experience, as we mentioned earlier, considering that he was trained as a lawyer and politician, not at all a military commander. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos, the show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. For all of you just tuning in, welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where today we are talking about Joseph Bonaparte. We just talked about Joseph's early life and how he aided Napoleon and his coup of France, and now we're going to get into the details of how he led the led with heavy quotations around lead, considering it was a very nominal leading of the army, but how he led the army of France in the invasion of Naples, upon which he would eventually become its king. So on the 8th of February, 1806, French forces invaded Naples with around 40,000 men under the command of Marshal Massena and General Saint-Cyr. The French army in their advance, which for the most part followed the Adriatic coast, faced very little resistance from any actual armies within Naples or any of Naples's 
allies, per se. And I say allies with heavy quotations there because the Anglo forces had actually withdrawn to Sicily by the time the French had crossed, and the Russians had withdrawn to Corfu, leaving Ferdinand IV and his army being the only ones stopping the French from conquering Naples. Now, given that the French army at this time was far superior to the army of Naples, and for that matter, most armies of Europe, uh, given their tactics, skills, leadership, weaponry, and overall... Ferdinand didn't have much faith in his ability to actually win, and as a result, he had already set sail for Palermo in Sicily on the 23rd of January, with his queen falling shortly behind on the 11th of February. While the French did encounter some resistance, such as at the fortress, at the fortress of Gaeta, where its governor refused to surrender his charge of the fortress, for the large part, it was an easy victory for the French, and they met very little resistance in their conquest of the Kingdom of Naples. Thus, on the 30th of March, 1806, Joseph Bonaparte would be formally declared the King of Naples and Sicily, with a decree saying as follows, quote, Napoleon, by the grace of God and the constitutions, Emperor of the French and King of Italy, to all those to whom these presents come greetings. The interests of our people, the honor of our crown, and the tranquility of the continent of Europe, requiring that we should assure, in a stable and definite manner, the lot of the peoples of Naples and Sicily, whom have fallen into our power by right of conquest, and who constitute a part of the Grand Empire, we declare that we recognize as King of Naples and of Sicily, our well-beloved brother, Joseph Napoleon, Grand Elector of France. This crown will be hereditary by order of primogeniture, in his descendants male, legitimate, and natural etc. End quote. Obviously with this, you know, we can see a few things off the bat. Um, Napoleon now saw, which it was to an extent, Naples and Sicily was a part of the French Empire at large. And with, the, and with this installation of, you know, Joseph Bonaparte as the King of Naples, uh, Napoleon was continuing his trend of installing family members on the thrones of various European powers. Um, it'll come to be seen that he installs his brother Jerome in the Kingdom of Westphalia, and also another brother of his, uh, Louise, in the Kingdom of Holland. So you'll see that this is not a very uncommon trend for Napoleon to install relatives in positions of power in countries that border, at this time, what constitutes the French Empire. As not to overstrain the French Empire, but still act as an extension of the French Empire, given the loyalty of the brothers to their own brother who rules over France. Joseph's arrival was actually quite welcomed in Naples with cheers, and he was eager to be a monarch that was well-liked by his subjects. And this would be something that would ultimately be reflected in his reign. Seeking to win favor from the local elites, he maintained and he maintained many uh, maintained them in their posts. Not many were en ended up being disposed. As he didn't want to appear to these local elite and these nobles as a foreign oppressor here to uproot everything inherently uh, southern Italian. With a provisional government set up in the capital, Joseph then immediately set off on a tour of his new realm, with the principal object of the tour being to assess the feasibility of an immediate invasion of Sicily and the expulsion of Ferdinand IV. As I mentioned, the Anglo forces and Ferdinand IV had all retreated to Sicily. Now, Sicily, being an island off the coast of uh, southern Italy, was a bit more difficult to invade for a land army, and thus it wasn't uh, able to be invaded by the initial French invasion forces. Upon uh, reaching and assessing the situation at the Strait of Messina, 
the strait between Sicily and the mainland, Joseph was forced to admit that it was pretty much an impossible enterprise, an impossible invasion, as the Bourbons had carried off all the boats and transports from along the coast and concentrated pretty much the entirety of their remaining forces alongside the British expedition in Sicily. Thus, Joseph had to abandon any notions of invading and possessing. He continued on as master of mainland, the master of mainland Italy, upon which he vi continued visiting the various towns and cities that he now ruled over, and no endearing himself to many of the local nobility, clergy, and even the people themselves. Upon returning to Naples, Bonaparte received a deputation from the French Senate congratulating him upon his ascension, and the king formed a ministry staffed by a number of competent and talented officials, and he was determined with these new officials to, f to, um, to really follow a sort of reformist agenda and bring to Naples the benefits of the French Revolution, to the, meaning uh, legal codes such as the Napoleonic Code and various other economic and military innovations which had really seen France emerge as the dominant European power under Napoleon Bonaparte. And now Joseph wanted to do these same things but within his new kingdom of Naples. In this ambitious program of reform, in order to raise Naples to what was deemed a more modern state in the mold of Napoleonic France, um, he did things such as banning monastic orders, which were suppressed. There was property that was nationalized from former nobles, and their funds were confiscated to steady royal finances. Feudal privileges and taxes were abolished. However, the nobility was compensated by an indemnity in the form of a certificate that could be exchanged in returns for nationalized lands from the church. Provincial intendants were instructed to engage those dispossessed former monks and ask if they were willing to work in public education and to ensure that elderly monks no longer able to support themselves could move into communal establishments founded for their care. Furthermore, in its bid of more military reforms, the practice of forcibly recruiting prisoners into the army was abolished in order to ensure that those who had joined the army were not convicts and were more loyal to the status or whole and were more likely to follow orders and be organized as convicts were seen as largely unreliable and a last resort in the military. To suppress and control robbers in the mountains, which in southern Italy were a large issue, military commissions were established with the power to judge and execute without any appeal any brigands arrested with armed in their possession. Public works programs were also begun by Joseph to begin to provide employment for the poor and invest in improvements in the kingdoms. Highways were built to cities such as Reggio, and a project of the Calabrian Road was completed under Bonaparte within a year after decades of delay under the Bourbon rule. In the second year of his reign, Bonaparte then worked to install the first system of public street lighting in Naples, modeled on those that had been recently established within Paris at that time. If you're not reading and learning history, then you're doomed to repeat it. For all of you just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. For all of you just tuning in, History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, um, welcome. And for all of you still tuning in, thanks for sticking along. We just got done talking about some of the more domestic um, programs of Joseph Bonaparte and his initial ascension to the throne. And now we're going to talk about his constitution within Naples and his endeavors as King of Spain. Although the Kingdom of Naples at that time was not furnished with a constitution, and thus Joseph's will as a monarch was absolute, that he reigned supreme without any challenge, there is yet no instance of him ever actually adopting a measure of policy without prior discussion of the matter in the Council of State and the passing of a majority vote in favor of his course of actions by the councillors. So it's seen that Joseph, for the most part, did not rule as an absolute monarch despite being an absolute monarch. He functioned a lot more and ruled a lot more as a constitutional sort of monarch. Joseph thus presided over Naples in what could really be considered enlightened absolutism. 
and he doubled the revenues of his crown as a result of these policies, his consultation with his advisors, which led to the creation of great policies, which led to the doubling of revenues for the crowns from 7 to 14 million ducats in his very brief two-year reign of the kingdom, while all the time seeking to lighten the burdens of his people rather than actually increase them. So, which ultimately leads to Yosef Bonaparte being one of the more beloved, actually, kings of Naples. After this two-year reign in Naples, which was largely successful, Joseph would see, you could say an upgrade, as he was tapped by his brother, Napoleon Bonaparte, to serve as the new king of Spain. Now, it's really important to give some context behind the kingdom of Spain at this time before we jump into what is going to be Joseph Bonaparte's last reign as the king of Spain, and he would be the last Bonaparte king of Spain. So... Originally in the Napoleonic Wars, Spain was an ally of France, but it was not necessarily the best of allies. Spain held a bitter resentment for Napoleon for a few things. First of all, um, the, the Spain was ruled by the Bourbons, the family who the revolution had overthrown and who Napoleon Bonaparte who had in turn overthrown. So the Bourbons in Spain had a sort of interest, you could say, in seeing Napoleon defeated, overthrown, and having the Bourbons restored to the French throne. Furthermore, the French under Bonaparte were responsible for the defeat of the entire Spanish navy at the Battle of Trafalgar, a memory which played, uh, did not bode well, play well into narratives uh, by the French people and perceptions, their perceptions of France as a whole. Thus, when France uh, sent troops into Spain to, in order to invade Portugal, many became uneasy at what seemed to be an increasingly growing occupation rather than invasion of Portugal. Eventually, uh, these fears of, I guess, French plotting against the Spanish would prove to be right, as Napoleon forced the two kings of Spain in the Bayonne abdications to both abdicate to Napoleon who would then in turn abdicate to his younger brother, Joseph, considering that he had proven himself to be a very competent and successful leader. It was hoped that given his competency, his care for the lower class, and the successfulness of all these institutional reforms in Naples, that he would be able to maintain relative peace in the kingdom of Spain, which so far had proven to be a bit more resistant to French advances. And Joseph, you know, upon receiving this uh, new crown, left Naples at the behest of his brother, probably feeling, even though he liked Naples, a sense of loyalty to his brother, and also maybe perhaps was pleased to see that this was an upgrade, as the kingdom of Spain is much richer than the kingdom of Naples. But regardless, he was reluctant to leave Naples, where he was immensely popular, and he arrived in Spain, where he was the opposite, very extremely unpopular. Yosef immediately came under heavy fire from opponents in Spain, who tried to smear his reputation by calling him Pepe Botella, meaning Joe Bottle, uh, for his alleged heavy drinking, which was something that was uh, echoed by various Spanish historiographies at the time. Um, despite the fact that Joseph actually really didn't drink at all. His arrival in Spain actually sparked a Spanish revolt against French rule and began the Peninsular War, the war which would drag near 300,000 troops away from France for the course of five years, and to many historians they would say the Peninsular War was actually what doomed Napoleon, as he was forced to throw more and more men into what seemed to be a sinkhole of Spanish revolutionaries who refused to give up and killed around, I believe, 300,000 French soldiers over the span of five years, with the aid of General Wellington, the British, and the Portuguese. 
At first, these revolutionaries were incredibly successful against Napoleon, and pretty much upon reaching Spain, Joseph was forced to retreat from Madrid with much of the French army to northern Spain. Feeling himself, you know, in the not best position, Joseph then proposed his own abdication from the Spanish throne, hoping that Napoleon would sanction his return to the Neapolitan throne he had formerly occupied, as it was clear that Joseph, not being much of a military man and more of a reformist, was not, he did not feel capable of dealing with these violent revolutionaries who clearly wanted to expel anything that is inherently French. French ideas, French people, and they would do so by pretty much what would seem any means necessary. But Napoleon dismissed Joseph's misgivings out of hand and had to back up the raw and ill-trained levies that he initially sent to Spain. The emperor sent heavy French reinforcements to assist Joseph in maintaining his position, but despite an easy capture of Madrid after these reinforcements arrived, uh, Joseph's government over many cities and provinces um, remained very tenuous, and his rule over Spain as a whole was very tenuous and nominal at best, and was constantly resisted by pro-Bourbon guerrilla forces. Joseph's, Joseph and his supporters would never ever come to truly establish complete control of the country and never would really be able to implement what he had in Naples. For five years, this guerrilla war would go on, leaving Joseph little time to actually implement domestic reforms. And he was constantly pretty much on the back end of the guerrilla forces, the Portuguese forces, and the, Span and the British forces. And eventually, he would abdicate and return to France after the main French forces were defeated by a British-led coalition at the Battle of Vittoria in 1813, closing the Pen Peninsular War and eliminating and removing the Bonapartes from power within Spain. He was seen by many Bonapartists, actually, as the rightful emperor of the French um, after the death of Napoleon's own son, Napoleon II, in 1832, although he did little to advance his claim, as at this time he actually went to live in exile in the United States from 1817 to 1832. During his time in the United States, it was actually reportedly that some Mexican revolutionaries offered to crown him the emperor of Mexico in 1820 but he declined before Mexico gained its independence from Spain in 1821. Joseph would eventually return to France in 18... returned to Europe in particular in 1844, where he would die in Florence, Italy, where his body was eventually returned to France and buried within Paris. So Joseph Bonaparte, one of the more lesser-known Bonapartes, leaves his legacy... It's a bit of a contested legacy, you could say, in that it had a good aspects and bad aspects to it, as is with any monarch. On the bad end, he failed to quell the rebellions in Spain and caused what could be argued the downfall of the French Empire as Napoleon was forced to throw more and more men into what was essentially a sinkhole that he could never escape from. But domestically, as seen in Naples, he was able to implement great policies, he really cared for the Nep Neapolitan people, and he really showed himself to be, in that sense, a very competent economic and administrative ruler. Thus ends the reign of the lesser-known Joseph Bonaparte, em King of Naples and King of Spain. Thank you for joining us for this week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Join us next week as we discover another historical figure from our past. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss, so be sure to join us same time, same place, next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.